You tuned in to the Kojo Nam, the show on WAMU 88.5. Welcome. I always planned to be a teacher, not a basketball coach, John Thompson wrote in his autobiography. I used basketball as an instrument to teach. My classroom was the court. The Georgetown University basketball coach made history when he led his team to an NCAA title in 1984, the larger-than-life force behind Georgetown's rise to national prominence. Thompson passed away last summer, but not before penning his autobiography. He was never just a basketball coach, and I Came as a Shadow is decidedly not just a basketball autobiography. Thompson's life on and off the court puts America's unresolved struggle with racial justice into stark relief from his childhood in a segregated Washington to this past summer of racial reckoning. Joining us to discuss Thompson's life and enduring legacy is Jesse Washington. He is co-author of the book, I Came as a Shadow, the autobiography of John Thompson, Jr. He is also a senior writer with ESPN's The Undefeated. Jesse Washington, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Jesse, I'll begin this program in an unusual way with a phone call from E.W. in Prince George's County, who I think captures how a lot of people who have read this book felt. E.W., you are on the air. Go ahead, please. Thank you for taking my call, Kojo. <clears throat> first, I'd like to say I read the book the first day it was out. Big John Thompson fan, and uh, the book was riveting. Couldn't put it down. Finished it abruptly, almost. But I, I just wanted to also add, uh, Kojo, um, for a basketball fan like me and many of my contemporaries growing up in Prince George's County, um, John Thompson was, for me, you know, the mentor of basketball and even becoming life mentor that I never knew. Uh, just, you know, of course, how he handled himself at Georgetown and then later on his radio show, he'd be the first to tell you he wasn't perfect. Uh, but there was a quality that was undeniable. And uh, let me just say, for the record, I rooted against them because I was a Ralph Sampson <laughs> fan. And that's when they had the media rivalry between Ewing and Pat Ewing. But after mm-hmm. I saw um, uh, John Thompson handle the Freddie Brown incident when he threw the ball away and how he handled that. And I, I heard him say that he did what any human would do. Uh, but I must say, to know how much the man cared, it, it made it irregardless of what he knew. And so okay. that's a prime example of how he, he drew people. E.W., thank you very much for your call. Jesse Washington, I went to E.W. first because the sentiment he expressed, I couldn't put the book down, is a sentiment that I and a lot of other people who read the book shared. So for that and for the writing, congratulations on that. Um, How did the opportunity to co-write this autobiography come your way? Well, the opportunity came because Coach wanted to tell his story, finally, and, you know, after decades of being mischaracterized and stereotyped and attacked, he figured it was time to define himself. And so that really set it in motion. I just happened to be the right person in the right place at the right time. What was your first meeting like? It was very interesting. It was not what I expected. Um, Coach invited me to come over to his house and meet with him, his daughter, Tiffany, and his son, John. And uh, I wouldn't exactly call it a grilling, but it was definitely a stiff questioning. (laughs) You know, (laughs) coach didn't make any small talk. He wasn't about, hey, how's your family? How are your kids doing? You know, where'd you go on vacation? It was all business. And at one point he said, you've never written a book like this before. What makes you think you could write mine? So I guess the answers were satisfactory because he ended up choosing me. But he was very intentional and purposeful in the writing of this book. We didn't mess around or, or, 
or make small talk. We came, we got to work, and we got it done. Um, Thompson passed away in August of 2020 at the age of 78. Did he, did he get to see the finished copy of the book? He approved everything that was in it. We finished the book. He did not get to hold it in his hands, which I'm sad about because that's a very special moment for any author. And it's somewhat of an indescribable feeling, not exactly like the birth of a child, but a distant cousin. So we were able to finish the book over the phone um, during COVID before he passed away, but he did not get to actually hold the physical copy. If you're just joining us, we're talking with Jesse Washington. He is co-author of I Came as a Shadow, the author biography of Georgetown University basketball coach John Thompson, Jr. He's also a senior writer with ESPN's The Undefeated. Jesse, what can you tell us about Thompson's childhood and how he grew up? Well, he grew up in the Frederick Douglass Housing Projects in Anacostia. And there's two things that really jump out to me about how he described his childhood. Number one, it was poverty. It was segregation. He said there were literally no white people around ever that he saw. This is in the 1940s and 50s. But at the same time, he said, I had a great childhood. And he said very clearly, this isn't any sob story about, oh, we were so poor and deprived growing up under Jim Crow. You know, he really enjoyed his childhood. And that was due, he credited that to the love and protection and care of his parents, of his yeah, mother. Talk, talk and about father. his parents, please. Yes. Tell us who were they and what was his family like? Well, his mother was native Washingtonian and attended Miners Teachers College and got a college degree as a teacher, but could not get work in her profession. So she cleaned white folks' houses. She did what they called at that time day's work. And his father was from St. Mary's County in Southern Maryland, 55 miles southeast of Washington. And he could not read or write. As a child, he needed to go to work in the fields to help his family earn money and didn't have the opportunity to go to school. But he says his father was one of the most intelligent men he ever met and taught him more than someone with a doctorate. So it was sort of an odd couple that his parents had an educated black woman and an unlettered black man. But the combination of what the foundation that they gave him really made him into the man that he became. His father told him to, quote unquote, study the white man. What did he mean by that? And how did Thompson carry that advice throughout his life and career? When he said study the white man, he didn't mean getting good with the white man or become friends with the white man. What he was saying was, hey, this is 1940s, 1950s in America. There's a whole world out there that you can't see, that you're not privy to, that is preventing you from access to it. Figure out how that works. What goes on when you're not in the room? What are they saying? How are they talking about you? That's really what he meant by study the white man. And so how he put that into action was he deliberately put himself in situations where he could see what was what that other side was like. It started at Archbishop Carroll High School, which uh, integrated in the late 1950s and uh, had a great basketball team, one of the greatest ever in Washington history. And then he went to Providence College. And when he went to Providence, he said, hey, don't put me in a room with another athlete or a black student. I want to just live with a regular student. And at Providence College, which was all male, that meant a white guy. And he said, I couldn't study the white man living with black kids. So he very consciously set out to understand this world. And then I guess his final study of the white man was when he came back to Washington and he, he came back to teach, not to coach, but 
St. Anthony's High School asked him to teach and he did it on a part time basis. And he observed the system that all the prominent white coaches, most importantly, Morgan Wooten, had set up where they controlled things, where they could influence the game behind the game, where they could influence certain decisions like where games were played or what referees were chosen. That was his final effort of studying the white man and the game behind the game. And then he put all of that into use at Georgetown. What's the story behind the title of this autobiography, I Came as a Shadow? I'm so thankful that Coach's daughter, Tiffany, thought that up. And when she said it for the first time, I got chills. That title is the title of a poem written by Coach's uncle. His uncle was Louis Grandison Alexander, who was a poet in the Harlem Renaissance. He was a contemporary of... Uh, County Cullen and Langston Hughes and things like that. Now, when Coach grew up, the only black folks that he saw getting praise or public respect were athletes. Joe Lewis, Jackie Robinson, people like that. There, he lived in the Frederick Douglass projects, but he did not know who Frederick Douglass was as a historical figure. He said black folks were too busy surviving to, to go down that route. So along comes this black man who's intelligent, who's celebrated for using his mind. And he admired that. It made an impression on him. And he wrote a poem that Coach, you know, one day we were doing our work and Coach sort of just recited this poem front to back out of nowhere. And I was a little surprised because this was one of the first of many instances when I encountered a John Thompson that was not what the public perception was that I had of him. And he referred back to the poem several times, you know, during the course of our doing our work. And finally, one day I asked him, Coach, do you identify with the shadow in that poem? And he gave me this smile that he gave sometimes. It was the smile of a teacher. And you might say, not to be too cliched, that he had a twinkle in his eye. Like, okay, you get it, Jesse. So he identified with the shadow in the title of the poem by his beloved and admired uncle. You recorded audio of Coach Thompson reading that poem. Let's take a listen. Nocturne Virgo by Louis Alexander. I came as a shadow. I stand now a light. The depth of my darkness transfigures your night. My soul is a nocturne. Each note is a star. The light will not blind you, so look where you are. The radiance is soothing. There's warmth in the light. I came as a shadow to dazzle your night. That was the late Georgetown basketball coach John Thompson Jr. reading his uncle Louis Grandison Alexander's poem, Nocturne Vario. Jesse, why did John Thompson Jr. identify with that shadow? Well, you know, I'm going to step out on a limb here because Coach was very adamant about defining himself in this book. And he chose not to spell it out. I think he wanted readers to make the inference for themselves. However, in my opinion, after talking to him for two years to write this book, I feel like when he came on the scene, everyone was scared. Here was a big six foot 10 black man with a loud voice who was not shy, who was not apologetic, who would not just shut up and go along with the program, who stood up for black folks and for the rights of his athletes and himself. And that that intimidated and a lot of people, not because he was trying to bully them, but because of their own insecurities. But then as time went on, we came to understand what Coach Thompson was really all about and the gifts that he brought us and the way that he illuminated certain aspects of life in America for athletes, for students 
and most importantly for black people. And so he's shown that light on us. And so I think that that's how he identified with the shadow. Gotta take a short break. I'm Kojo Nandi. Hi, it's Diane. The next meeting of my book club is on Wednesday, May 31st at 1 p.m. Eastern. I'll host a discussion of Mad Honey by Jody Pico and Jennifer Finney Boylan, followed by a conversation with the authors. Find out more and register at dianereem.org slash book club. Welcome back. We're talking with Jesse Washington, co-author of I Came as a Shadow, the autobiography of Georgetown University basketball coach John Thompson, Jr. Jesse, the team John Thompson played for at Archbishop Carroll was legendary. How did his own career as a basketball player unfold? Was it always clear he was destined for the basketball court even before he shot up in height? Uh, No, it was not. (laughs) (laughs) You know, coach loved baseball. He loved baseball to the end of his days, and he was walking around the neighborhood with a baseball bat over his shoulder. And by this time, he had moved over to uh, Benning, Benning Road and 19th Street in Washington. That was his neighborhood. And then the folks in the neighborhood were like, hey, man, you're mighty tall to have that bat. You know, you need to get over to the court. And he says he wasn't very good when he started. But then he started hearing stories about the great Elgin Baylor, who was known as Rabbit. And... Elgin received so much attention and adulation that even before ever seeing him play, Coach Thompson was smitten with the idea of this basketball star. And then when he finally did get to see him play, it was over. He became uh, not an idol. He said something more than a hero, you know, and, and that influenced him to try to become a better player. And Coach did become quite a good player, one of the best players in Washington in the nation and was highly recruited at many colleges across the country. Interestingly enough, when he graduated from Carroll in 1960 and they had won 55 games in a row and he said that Georgetown University was one of the schools that did not recruit him, his hometown school, because at that time, Georgetown did not allow any black players on their team. Well, he eventually went to play at Providence University and um, went on to uh, join the Boston Celtics. And in the book, he says that. People say that I played for the Boston Celtics. He said, I never played for the Boston Celtics. I sat on the bench because Russell never came out of the damn game. (laughs) (laughs) Coach was sort of salty about that. It was very interesting. You know, and I looked up the, in the, they got these great statistics on the internet. I said, Coach, the internet says uh, you play 10 minutes a game, you know, five points, five rebounds a game. He said, I don't give a blank what the internet says. <laughs> <laughs> Russell never came out the game. Exactly you know, right. What that, what that really was about was Coach was All-American coming out of Providence. Averaged 26 points and 15 rebounds you know, against some great players. But he didn't get an opportunity to really express that in the pros because he played behind Russell. Now, he appreciated what Russell was as a player and most specifically as a black man. He appreciated being on the dynasty with the Celtics and winning two championships. But he did regret not getting able to express his basketball talent in the pros. When did his career as a player come to an end, and how did he get interested in coaching? 
You know, it's funny because he did something very atypical, almost unthinkable for most athletes today. But really, it shows you what kind of person coach was. He played with the Celtics for two years, and then they had the expansion draft. The NBA was opening up to more teams. And the Celtics left him unprotected, and he was chosen by Chicago. And he said, you know what? I don't really need to play basketball anymore. I'm fine. I've always intended to be a teacher. You know, he had so many teachers as a young person who influenced him growing up, who he credits with saving his life for teaching him how to read when he had a reading disability in the sixth grade. And that is what he wanted to do. And so he said, all right, I'm going to go back to D.C. and I'm just going to be a teacher. And that's what he did. And he worked in youth programs with troubled youth, kids coming out of jail. He worked in 4-H programs. Uh, if you could picture Coach Thompson out in the park, sitting around a campfire, <laughs> singing songs, you know, neither could I. Um, mm -hmm. And then St. Anthony's High School, which was a doormat, had no program to speak of, uh, asked Coach, hey, would you be interested in coming over and coaching these boys? And Coach decided that he would like to apply his teaching techniques in a basketball setting. He said that he felt like he could use the lessons that he had learned and absorbed. And he was studying for a master's degree at this time also in, in counseling and guidance. He said, yeah, I can put all this into effect in a basketball context. So that's why he took the job. And of course, at this point, I guess when you mentioned that he had trouble reading when he was a kid, we need to mention uh, Ms. Sameta Wallace-Jackson, the teacher he credited with guiding him out of that dilemma and teaching him how to read. And to the end of his life, he carried a certain reverence for her, didn't he? An immense reverence. Uh, she mm. was his teacher at Harrison Elementary School. And he said that Mrs. Sameta Wallace-Jackson taught him things about, about young people that informed his coaching as much as someone like Red Auerbach from the Celtics. She taught him how to deal with young people, how to protect them. He felt protected and sheltered, and his insecurities were understood and turned into confidence. You know, that's what she did for him. And if you think about it, that's exactly what he did for so many of his players at Georgetown. Here's Glennis in Washington, D.C. Glennis, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Yes, good morning. How are you? Doing well. Well, my experience was I went to St. Anthony's High School. And in 1968, I was a junior that year. I had been playing in the band, and then I was at Turkey Thicket one day, and Mr. Thompson came up to me, and he says, um, don't you, you go to the school there? I said, yes, sir. He says, well, don't you need to be playing basketball? I said, why is that? He says, because your parents probably couldn't afford to send you to college, and you might be able to get a scholarship, and I want you to learn the best things in life and have the best things in life. And I said, well, I mean, it's strange. This man doesn't even really know me. As, he just knows me as a student. But when I went to the rehearsal and went to practice and saw what he was doing with these young men at our school, I was just blown away. He really, really cared more about their future as opposed to their basketball ability. And he carried that on, and he showed so many young men at that school how to grow up the right way and how to, how to learn and take advantage of their education. That man is just an unbelievable person. Um, I just can't say enough about him. I mean, we all loved him. John Butler loved him. Dwight Datchel loved him. Everybody that played for him loved him. Even though he cut me from the team, I loved him as, I, I loved him as well. Glennis, thank you very much. I have another friend who we cut from that team, as a matter of fact. Here is Jim in Rockville, Maryland. Jim, your turn. Hi, gentlemen. Um, I had a uh, question concerning his high school experience, and I, um, I, I was on hold, and, I, and you may have talked about it because I heard the lead into college. Uh, I went to Archbishop Carroll probably about 10 years after him, 
And of course, <clears throat> he had a he was on a team that had won something like fifty five straight games um, back in the late fifties. And I was just curious: uh, uh, does the book talk much about that? And did he have much to say about his high school experience at Carroll? Jesse Washington. Oh yes, he absolutely talks about it in the book. He develops a he devotes an entire chapter to it, and it was a very formative experience for him. Just the people that he played with, the way that he understood and started to observe Washington, integrated Washington work, and this was the first time he had been exposed on a regular basis to white classmates, to uh, to other white folks, white coaches, things like that. He also remembers very specifically that although their high school team was integrated. Certain summer tournaments like Jell-Off Boys Club were segregated and he was not allowed to play in certain tournaments and playgrounds in and around Washington. And he carried with that with him for a long time as well. Jesse John Thompson coached the basketball team at Georgetown University for three decades. There were not many black coaches at white schools in his day. How did he end up coaching at Georgetown? Hmm. That was one of the big surprises for me in the book. Georgetown in the late 60s and early 70s, really recognized that they were falling short of what they claimed to be as Catholics, as Jesuits, and just as a university in a predominantly Black city. There were riots in D.C. after the the assassination of Dr. King and Malcolm X, and Georgetown said, wow, we need Black people here at this school. And the dean of admissions, who is still there, Charlie Deacon, was a basketball fan. And he had watched St. Anthony's become one of, if not the best basketball team in Washington and on the high school level. He knew Coach Thompson to play with the Celtics. And he knew that this would be an avenue to connect to black Washington. And so he went to the president of the school at the time and said, hey, we need to hire this guy. Now, mind you, the basketball team at Georgetown the year before Coach got there had a record of three and 23. So it wasn't like some big risk that they were taking. And as Coach Thompson also points out in his book, when Georgetown decided to get black people, they didn't go looking for professors. They went looking for basketball coaches and basketball players. So, you know, they knew that their team would get better because coach had a lot of black talent and they wanted to hire a black coach. So they basically decided to give him the job before he even applied for it. Yeah, plus he knew what was going on on all the playgrounds around D.C. Absolutely. And who he could call find. The said turkey thicket. I exactly. Mean, coach, coach loved to hang out at the playgrounds. I asked him, Coach, so when you were at you, you were recruiting at the playgrounds, he said, I wasn't recruiting. I was just hanging out, living my life. That's where I like to be. And exactly. if I saw some players, so be it. Got to take a short break. When we come back, we'll continue this conversation. I'm Coach Onan. Welcome back to our conversation with Jesse Washington. He is co-author of the book, I Came as a Shadow, the autobiography of Georgetown University basketball coach John Thompson, Jr. Jesse Washington is also a senior writer with ESPN's The Undefeated. What was Georgetown like when John Thompson uh, was hired um, in, the early 19, in the 1970s? That's a great question. It was not this elite, nationally known institution. It was a uh, middle-of-the-pack regional school that had a lot of kids from down south, and it was almost exclusively white. 
they might have had 50 to 100, less than 100 black people there, not only students, faculty, the whole nine yards. And, and, it, and their basketball team was lousy. That's pretty much what you need to know about Georgetown. They did not have a national reputation. And to this day, the school credits Coach Thompson and basketball with putting them on the map nationally. Here now is Rob in Arlington, Virginia. Rob, you're on the air. Rob, go ahead, please. Yeah, hey, Coach o, thank you for taking my call. And uh, uh, this is going to be a really touchy question for the author of the book. But I moved here in 86, right out of college, hung out in Georgetown at the Tombs, met a lot of students. Um, as the author was saying, you know, Georgetown, I'll be, I'm, uh, there were a lot of young white kids, guys, that wanted to play basketball, the whole Danny Ferry thing. So this is, again, touchy question, but Coach Thompson just never gave a scholarship to a white kid, gave him the opportunity to play then Brent Musburger called him out on live TV. I remember watching it. And, you know, obviously that upset Coach Thompson. But, you know, in the, uh, in the whole thing of fairness, couldn't he have had at least, you know, one white player, you know, give the opportunity to play and go to an elite school? Um, and so I know it's a, it's a whole tough subject, but it's something that has bothered a lot of people for a long time. So oh well, wait a minute. No, no subject was too tough for John Thompson. Jesse Washington, yeah. how did Coach Thompson respond to that criticism? Well, I'm glad that you brought that up. So let's start here. The facts there are false, and people made up stories about Coach because they didn't like who he was and what he was about. Coach Thompson had plenty of black of white players. He gave plenty of white kids scholarships to go to Georgetown University, you know, but over time, people started lying about coach and saying he was a racist and saying he didn't like white people, which was absurd because as you read in the book, really his closest and most dearest friends in life were white folks. So people started lying and created a perception of him as somebody who would not recruit white kids. And then there are two very specific examples in the book of where other white basketball coaches lied to his white recruits and said, you shouldn't go to that school. Coach doesn't really want you. You know, one of them went anyway, Jeff Bullis, who uh, ended up being a very significant contributor on a team that went to the mm -hmm. elite eight. So this idea that coach would not recruit white players is false. And really it's a manifestation of the racism that he had to deal with. He was being treated in a racist fashion. He and his team were being called N-words and having bananas and oranges thrown at them at the court. And yet somehow the media and certain people would turn that around into this belief that he was the one who was racist. It was, I'm amazed that he dealt with it as calmly as he did. Thank you very much for your call, Rob. Here on the same topic is Bill in Arlington, Virginia. Bill, your turn. I will say that, first of all, th thank you for taking my call, and, and, and uh, thank you very much for the book. I, I think that uh, the, the, the issue of race is, is certainly a touchy subject, but I am a 60-plus-year-old white, white kid who went to Georgetown, and I had more in common economically and, and from an opportunistic standpoint with the, the, the players on the basketball team than I did with most of my classmates. 
so consequently, I hung out with, with more basketball players than, than I did with the average student. Coach Thompson treated me the exact same way that he treated the players. He was every bit as profane around me. He was every <laughs> bit as loving around me. He was every bit of a teacher, and, and I can't thank him enough. He, 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 he helped make me into the man that I am today, and I, 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 I will go to my grave loving the man. So thank you. Thank you for your call. But it's funny, Jesse Watson, because John Thompson Jr. said he never used to be that profane as a young man. That came on. It came on. And, it came on in later years, right? And it came on strong, boy. It came on heavy. You know, <laughs> yeah. coach. Coach enjoyed. And here's another time where I'm going to take a go out on a limb here. And I got. I'm looking over my shoulder to make sure Coach ain't going to smack me in the back of the head <laughs> for defining him. But I think it's apparent in the book that he enjoyed keeping people off guard and challenging their assumptions about who and what he was. And profanity was part of that. You know, he enjoyed keeping people off guard and on the defensive. And so he used it because he enjoyed it. But part of it was that it surprised people. And um, and because it, it was a an expression of his freedom. I think that the fact that this this uh, this white gentleman who just called and said that coach treated him just like his black players shows his primary mission as an educator. You know, coach was like, OK, here's another student. And I'm, I'm here to help this student the same way I'm helping these students who are on my basketball team. That was a great story. Here is Bernadette in Frederick, Maryland. Bernadette, your turn. Hi, um- I just wanted to say that uh, my brother played for Coach Thompson at St. Anthony's, and um, he, my brother died about um, seven years ago. He died when he was 60-something, and uh, the coach showed up to his uh, funeral, and he literally, you know, stood out in a crowd for one thing because he was so tall, but there he was, um, you know, 40 years after he had coached him. And my brother wasn't one of the best players. He was a white guy on his team. But it was that team that did really well. And they all enjoyed him and, you know, kept in touch with him. He was just a wonderful man. And to show up after all those years, bless him. Thank you very much for your call, Bernadette. Jesse Washington, I'm wondering if you might read a passage from the introduction when John Thompson Jr. is reflecting on his own legacy. Sure. Sometimes I did not speak up when I should have. Other times I should have kept my mouth shut. But as I got further in my career, basketball became a way of kicking down a door that had been closed to black people. It was a way for me to express that we don't have to act apologetic for obtaining what God intended us to have, and that we should be recognized more for our minds than our bodies. All of this came out of the strong responsibility I felt to teach kids more than how to throw a ball through a hoop. Too many black kids are conditioned to seek recognition based on physical instead of intellectual attributes. We have to stop thinking about power as being able to dunk on somebody or lay somebody out on the football field. Real power is defined by the capacity to think and excel in various situations. Compared with physical abilities, intelligence places you in a better position for a longer period of time. Far more money is made sitting down than standing up. That was Jesse Washington reading from I Came as a Shadow, the autobiography of Georgetown University coach John Thompson, Jr. You know, Coach Thompson joined our show 
back in the year 2012 because one of the ways he made money sitting down after he left coaching basketball was the same job I do. He used to host a radio show, a radio talk show here in Washington. And it was fascinating because he did that for decades after he retired from coaching. But as I said, he joined our show back in 2012 to talk about his coaching and his mentorship of young black athletes. Here's John Thompson. So let's understand one thing. We want to play. We want to win. That's very significant because that gives you leverage to walk out on Proposition 42. That gives you <laughs> leverage to question why there aren't African-Americans refereeing or African-Americans coaching. If you win, people listen to you. If you lose, they say it's sour grapes, okay? <laughs> but if the opportunity comes for these kids, then they better take advantage of that opportunity or I'm going to tell you that you got to get out of here. Jesse Washington, can you explain what he was talking about in that clip and what effect that tough love approach had on Thompson's reputation? Man, that was fantastic. Thanks for playing that. <laughs> so what Coach was talking about was this. He's going to bring these kids to Georgetown to graduate, number one, and that's his primary focus. And, you know, numerous players from Patrick Ewing on down told me, Coach didn't promise me I would play a minute, no starting, no nothing. All he promised was that if I did what I was supposed to do, I would get a diploma from Georgetown. So that was his primary focus. And if the young people that he brought to campus were not going to go to class, study, apply themselves academically to really fulfill the main reason they were there, which was to graduate. It didn't matter how well they played on the court. He would kick them out of school. He would get rid of them. And he made plenty of student athletes who were on his team who could have helped him win more championships. He said, no, you can't stay here because you're not serious about school. And there, to, that's an amazing thing for a coach to do, to prioritize education at the expense, at the literal expense of him winning. Back to the telephones now. Here is Paul in Washington, D.C. Paul, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Hi, can you hear me? Yes, we can. Thank you for the opportunity. Appreciate um, you know the opportunity um, to talk about coach. I'm from Philadelphia originally, and uh, John Thompson's peer was uh, John Cheney, who also transitioned very very recently. And um, you know they were similar in their outlook and uh, fought battles together with respect to equality, which I'm sure the author knows a lot about. And I just wondered if there was any in the course of your um, discussions with Coach Thompson, did you ever talk about other black trailblazing coaches that were his peers, like John Tom, like John Cheney in, in, at Temple University in Philadelphia, and their battles for more opportunity and equality for players? John Cheney was his friend, Jesse Washington. Absolutely, he loved John Cheney dearly, <laughs> and he mentioned that frequently in the book and throughout our conversations. And they had a crew those guys, and they called themselves the Final Four, and it had nothing to do with the NCAA tournament. It was the Final Four basketball coaches with real influence, and it was Coach Thompson, John Chaney, George Raveling, and Nolan Richardson. And he spoke very lovingly of these men. There's a clip that you can find on YouTube of the four of them going on the, uh, a PBS television show 
Charlie Rose and talking about more equality and pushing back against discriminatory rules from the NCAA. But one of the biggest points that coach made in his book was that at this point right now in college athletics, there are no black coaches with the influence and stature that those final four had. And that goes back to what coach said in the clip from his appearance on your show. You got to win to get the leverage. And so the Mm -hmm. fact that we have sort of moved backwards in that way is something that was definitely on his mind. Thank you very much for your call, Paul. There are indeed whole chapters in this book devoted to Thompson's former players, people like Alonzo Mourning, Allen Iverson, Dikembe Mutombo, and of course, Patrick Ewing. What did Thompson have to say about Patrick, who is now himself the coach of Georgetown's basketball team? Patrick had a very, very special place in Coach's heart. And I think it began because he appreciated the fact that at the time when Patrick Ewing committed to come to Georgetown, he was the superstar high school player of America. He was like the Zion Williamson of his day. And he chose to play for a black coach. No top player had ever done that before. You know, it was very unusual and it it reflected the trust that Patrick and his family had for Coach. So he appreciated that. And then I think that his feelings about uh, Patrick, Coach Ewing, were summed up when he said, look, if someone asked me who the greatest player to ever come to Georgetown is, I'm going to say Patrick because I believe that is true. But if someone, another player came to Georgetown who I thought was greater than Patrick, I would lie and say the best player is still Patrick because that's how (laughs) much I love that man. And I got to witness their relationship because we did a lot of the work for the book at Georgetown in the basketball office and to see how they interacted with each other all these years later with coach Ewing as the coach and coach Thompson as his elder. It really made clear the extraordinarily respectful and loving relationship that these two giant black men had. How did he stop himself from interfering when his son, John Thompson, the third was coaching and when Patrick Ewing is coaching? With extreme difficulty. You know, I, think, <laughs> I think he says in the book that on some level, I did want to coach John's team. You know, but uh, JT3, as he's known, is, mm-hmm. was raised in his father's image and was intelligent enough to say, okay, Pops, what do you think? You know, um, what do you think about the situation? And then the younger John would do what he felt was right. And Coach says in his book, a lot of times that wasn't what I said. Exactly. And it, and it bothered me, but... He's my son. I raised the man to make his own decisions. So I had to live with it. Before I go back to the phones, Jesse, what impact did he have on the life of another Hall of Famer, Allen Iverson? We would not know the name Allen Iverson now if Coach Thompson had not decided to help a young man who had gotten into some trouble and needed help. We would not know the name Allen Iverson if his mother had not said to Coach Thompson, please, you've got to take my son or they're going to kill him. The backstory is what happened with Allen is that he was unjustly convicted of a crime, which he was not guilty of. And all of his hundreds of scholarship offers disappeared and no one was willing to give him a chance. But coach and coach says in his book, he was the type of challenge that I needed to help a young mother and her son, somebody who needed help. He didn't know that Allen Iverson was going to be the great Allen Iverson, the revolutionizer of basketball and things like that. He was more concerned with helping him out. Here now, and of course, Allen Iverson said that when he was inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame, that his mother, in his words, literally begged John Thompson to take me, and he did. Here is Joe in Washington, D.C. Joe, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Hey, 
Thanks, Kojo, for letting me uh, comment. Uh, I'm a big Georgetown fan and even bigger uh, John Thompson fan. Two things. Uh, I used to see Coach uh, at church. He would come into St. Augustine's uh, Catholic uh, Church on Sundays, some Sundays, and he would always stand in the back or near the front doors. He would always stand. Very rarely I'd see him sit. So when they would have uh, peace be with you and so forth, I would go and, and speak to him and so forth. So I always see him in the back there. And uh, the other thing is that uh, I, I found out I used to see the commentators from time to time. There were certain commentators uh, would try to make a comparison between uh, uh, teams like Duke and Georgetown. And what would get on my case, they would say uh, Duke, the All-American team, the intelligent players, the good guys, and Georgetown, uh, you know, uh, the boots or the bad guys, especially after they got to following you know, the hip-hop uh, uh community. So I always thought that was was very uh, annoying and unfair, and it used to piss me off. But uh, 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 Thompson, John, uh, Coach Thompson left a legacy that I don't think will be hard to, uh, to, to duplicate. So um, I'm glad. Uh, I'm looking forward to getting this book. I'm looking forward to reading it. Thank you very much. Jesse Washington, there was a time when during uh, John Thompson's tenure as coach of that team, there were black kids all over the country who were following Georgetown basketball, who bought Georgetown basketball gear, who just liked the manner in which the Georgetown players played. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I was one of them. You know, I was a teenager <laughs> when, uh, when, when Georgetown basketball took it to the next level and went to three championship games in a span of four years. But yes, we liked them because they were successful. But really what made an impression on us was they had a black coach and they were uncompromising in their attitude. They didn't apologize for living, as coach would say. And, you know, that perception that the caller just described and the way that they were stereotyped in a racist fashion as being uh, animalistic, brutes, uh, whereas some of their white players who also played hard and aggressive and press full court would be intelligent and tough, you know. That was another reason why on an unconscious level we identified with them because the things that they said about Georgetown were the same things they said about us in terms of black people in the community. And the fact that Georgetown overcame that and didn't change who they were to appease the insecurities of unintelligent people is really what endeared them to a whole nation. And of course they won. Like Coach said, you have to win to get that credit and to get that respect and to do anything. It all starts with winning. And so that combination was extremely potent. And it was the dawn of the hip hop era. And that that attitude crossed over between hip hop and the players. And then there was the Nikes that they wore. And Georgetown helped put Nike, period, as a corporation on the map with their attitude and style and sneakers. So it all really came together in a very powerful fashion. And definitely for me. And to get to help Coach Thompson describe that in his book was a real privilege. We've got to talk about that 1984 championship victory over Houston. History will remember John Thompson Jr. as the first black coach to lead a basketball team to an NCAA title, but he always bristled at that phrasing. Why? It really says a lot about him that he rejected that supposed compliment because he was very cognizant of the fact, and he says in his book, look, you're acting like I was the first black coach with the ability to win a national championship. And that is false. Plenty of coaches before me 
had more than enough talent and ability and intelligence to win a championship, but they were denied the opportunity to do so. The great John McClendon, uh, Cal Irvin, Clarence Big House Gaines. These were tremendous coaches who were segregated away from success in basketball. So when you say that I'm the first to win a championship, I'm thinking about all the ones who were denied the opportunity to win a championship before me. Here's Jason in College Park, Maryland. Jason, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Uh, good afternoon, gentlemen. And my question is for um, Jesse. Jesse, I'm working with Coach Thompson. Well, for, let me back up. I used to listen to Sports Talk 980, and I remember Coach saying people make more money sitting down and standing up. And he actually, over the radio, encouraged me to go back to school and finish getting my degree. So I'm proud to say I'll be a college graduate at the age of 50 because of Coach Thompson. Um, so that's one, that's one of the things he did to me because the opportunity I had to meet him, I was too afraid to go up and shake his hand. So um, I'm getting my degree and um, because of Coach Thompson. But my question to you is, <clears throat> out of all the things that you learned with working with Coach Thompson, what is one message that you would pass on to, to people who respected him like me? Like, what is one lesson that the book doesn't touch on that you got from Coach? And um, that's my question. Thank you. Man, well, first of all, Jason, congratulations for getting that degree. And Coach Thompson is definitely smiling down right now because he cared about that more than anything. I think that the biggest lesson I took personally away from it was to in my interactions with Coach. And I was in class with this man for, for two years taking notes. And... It's really to not be apologetic on getting the things that we have earned. And he pointed out very clearly that a lot of times we're made to, people try to make us feel thankful for us getting an opportunity that we deserve, that we've earned. So you don't have to be apologetic for that. You don't have to be grateful for having the rights that God intended you to have. And so I've actually changed my vocabulary. And now when I'm receiving things that I've earned. I use words like I appreciate it. And I'm not going to say, well, I'm grateful for this. Thank you, sir. You know, no, nah, I'm not going to do that. And I got that from Coach Thompson. I'm afraid we're just about out of time. So we won't get the opportunity to discuss what happened when John Thompson met with then drug kingpin Rafael Edmund. I guess you'll just have to read the book to see what happened there. But Jesse Washington, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. This is wonderful. Coach loved Washington, D.C., his hometown, and to have it explored in this way and hear from the callers today would have been great. Jesse Washington is the co-author of I Came as a Shadow, the autobiography of Georgetown University basketball coach John Thompson, Jr. Jesse Washington is also a senior writer with ESPN's The Undefeated. Today's show on the legacy of John Thompson Jr. was produced by Julie Deppenbrock. Coming up tomorrow, homicides hit a 15-year high in D.C. last year. We'll speak with community organizers about how gun violence affected their neighborhoods and how the pandemic has changed their work. Then, George Pelicanos joins us to talk about how the Washington region shaped his career as a crime novelist, screenwriter, and producer. It all starts tomorrow at noon. Until then, thank you for listening and stay safe. I'm Kojo Nam. The Kojo Nambi Show is produced by Julie Deppenbrock, Sydney Granin, Lord Marco, Kurt Gardner, Richard Cunningham, and Ines Renike. Our managing producer is Ingalisa Schropsdorf. Our broadcast engineer 
is Rashad Young. Today's engineer is Kenny Pirot. For past shows and more content, visit kojoshow.org. WAMU 88.5 is your listener-supported NPR news station in the greater Washington, D.C. region. You can support the Kojo Namdi Show and all the regional coverage you value by becoming a member today. Click the Donate button at WAMU.org and thanks.